Many times I have heard, this is the word of God for the people of God, but I have never heard that preceded by ooh. Um, this, this, this is some daunting scripture that uh, we have had shared with us this morning. There's nothing quite so distracting, I suppose, as getting something in your eye. I imagine that all of you have had that happen at some point in your life. Uh, it is a situation that will simply take over, whether that is a grain of sand, a, a bit of lint, an eyelash. It can become an absolute distraction. You can't get on at least with much of life before you settle that situation with whatever it is that is in your eye. Uh, most of the time we tend to manage this on our own with the assistance of our eye which waters up and washes hopefully whatever is in there to the corner of our eye and then we are able to wipe it clean with a Kleenex or whatever to get it out of our eye. We are always so relieved when finally um, that little object which has become our distraction is removed. There are occasions, however, where we need assistance. I know this just in the way in which Sue and I have to assist each other occasionally when we get something in our eyes. We need someone who will look very carefully in order to remove that which is there. It is an act of trusting when you lay down and allow someone to look in your eye. Do you know what I'm saying? Usually you will close your eye first and the other person will pry it open in order to look and to examine and to see if there may be some small little object that has been causing the problem. Living in a sand-rich environment like Israel, and I was there, it has been so long ago now, 30 years ago, um, when I was there, this incredible sandstorm blew into Jerusalem. I had never seen anything like it. The guide that was with us said, now this is going to make it difficult, but we need to push ahead because we're on a schedule. And he said, he said just make sure that you, you cover your, your face uh, with a cloth so that you're not breathing in all of this sand. His concern that we would be breathing in all of this dust. Um, he did not say anything to us about the fact that that dust was going to be bothering our eyes. And I, I have remembered in, in the context of this scripture today before us that the people to whom Jesus were, was speaking would have been keenly aware of those things that would get into their eyes. And who knows but what the sand wasn't being store, stormed up and sifted through the crowd when Jesus was doing his preaching. Jesus' prophetic metaphor was immediately understood by all those that were there. It was this hyperbole, this exaggeration that he was so prone to give. You know, Jesus is the same one that said, if, 
you know, when he was talking about adultery and, and the fact that just looking with lust upon someone um, might be deserving of you plucking out your eye. That is an incredible thing for him to have said. Or if your hand offends you, Jesus said, cut it off, you know. Why risk it? Be done with that part of your life. Now, these, these are, are crazy exaggerations. And Jesus, in the midst of, of this telling, it is so ridiculous, it is almost humorous that he says this. It catches them off guard because they have understood all along what a problem small things can be when it gets into your eye. But he says, first take the log out of your eye. If you're intent on sparing somebody else the irritation of a speck in their eye. And I can imagine they howled with laughter the idea of it all. Can you imagine me trying to tell you what you should get right in your life if there's something that is so out of order in my own, this is, of course, the difficulty of being a preacher because we know that we don't have it all right. And in fact, there are many who have struggled with this matter in very public ways with their congregations as they have been caught in some of the things that are very hypocritical about the way in which they live in connection with the way in which they preach. God help us all with that scenario. Jesus is here not seeking simply to dig at anybody other than maybe the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes because he could see the way they were seeing that the, the means of operandi for them, the way in which they looked at other people was so judgmental. And this was not something that was just encased in that religious section of society, but it spills over into every, every part of who we are as people of this earth. And you've seen it, haven't you? Not just in the church or in the temple, but also throughout society. We who are so prone to judge others. First take the log out of your own eye. Do not judge, lest you be judged. These are very practical suggestions. In fact, there is an immediate concern about it. We should take it to heart that not all of this simply has to do with our relationship with God, although all of it does have that to do with God. There are very specific concerns about judging other people. And I imagine that you have experienced this. If you judge a friend or an enemy, doesn't it usually end in their poor response 
toward the judgment that they have received from you. It's inevitable. This is the way great divisions and fights begin and end. Do not judge that you be not judged. It is like Jesus' is having said, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Or in our culture, he who lives by the pistol will die by the pistol. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. If we fashion our lives by violence, then we will suffer violence. The time will come. It also has eternal ramifications, of course, and you know this. You will receive the violence that you impart. I'm not going to work out all the details of that, but I would encourage you to take this up with God if you think that the violence that is a part of our world this day will not have to be a part of the day of reckoning at the return of our Lord and Savior. And God will judge. I hold it close to my heart that in the midst of that judgment that we are talking about a very fair and very loving entity. The very one who loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. There are plenty of logs to go around these days, aren't there? You and I all have a log in our eye. Everywhere we look, we see someone with a log, not a speck in their eye, but a log in their eye. They've got it all wrong in their assessments, in the way in which they've chosen to believe, the way that they've chosen to live. And we can see it far more clearly than they can see it, that they've got a log in their eye. Sometimes I want to go up to people at Walmart and say, did you realize you've got a log in your eye? I don't know that that would come off very well. The importance of this matter is that it is an inner journey for us, or should be, that becomes very confessional in nature. And this is what Jesus is suggesting, sort of tongue-in-cheek, but also with great, great seriousness. In this sermon, he is suggesting that you and I may have something that would prevent us from being very good helpers to those whom we intend to set right. First, remove the log in your own eye. This must be a confessional venture to begin with, that we would confess our sin in order to be cleansed of all unrighteousness. 
You remember, this is sort of how it was with the Apostle Paul, that soul that was so judgmental in his looking. He thought through the lens of God into the society of those who were called Christians, followers of Christ. And he even held the cloak of those who were stoning Stephen, this early martyr who gave his life for the sake of the one who gave his life for all. This one whom we call the Apostle Paul, who encountered Jesus on that road as the voice spoke to him out of the light and said, Paul, or actually Saul, his name was still Saul, why are you persecuting me? And as Paul was seeking to come to this place of confession in his own life, as he was seeking to have the lens cleared from his understanding of who he was judging and to see the log in his own life, he said, Who are you, Lord? And this is such a critical matter for we who think that we know God and know everything that God would be about. You and I have this affliction of life in community. In the community of the church, in the community of the world around us. And it is that our pride will not allow us to be confessors or to admit any wrong. I long for the day when even not only we would relate to each other as confessional sinners, but when someday the leaders of our church and of our nation, of our world, will honestly be able to say, I confess. When will that occur? The affliction of our world is all a part of the Scripture. It can be read in so many different places. The stew that we call the book of Psalms has within it passages of Scripture that are not necessarily set up chronologically. And I think that one of the Psalms to which we are so drawn with admiration is actually a psalm that should be placed closer to the very first of that book if it is to have any semblance of chronology to it. Psalm 139, which begins with the words, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. And it goes on again to say, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Further down it says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And this chapter in the book of Psalms ends with the words again, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Can you imagine King David as a young man having written that and having it transcribed and passed on? What powerful words those are. But in this psalm, just before the words that I just read to you about searching me, O God, and knowing my heart, are the words, Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me. Those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. And then it was in the next phrase that it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. David did not know his own heart. You see, this is our affliction. We don't know our own heart. We don't realize how much we have to confess in order that God could begin to set the world in right order. The affliction of our lives doesn't come sometimes until somebody draws it to our attention. And surely you remember that story in 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, where finally after this event with Bathsheba, and David's great distraction with bringing her into his bedroom in order to assure that no one would find out what has gone on, that he surreptitiously causes the death of her husband on the battlefield. She doesn't know what's gone on. David, he thinks, is the only one who could ever put the pieces of that puzzle together. But lo and behold, Nathan the prophet, who sees through to the very heart of David, comes and confronts David. And engaging him in conversation, he begins to speak to David and says, that there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks, and the poor only had one poor little lamb who was like a pet, almost a member of the family. And when this rich man had a visitor come, did he go and gather one of the lambs from his own flock? No, he wouldn't think of doing that. He went to the poor man who owed him and took his lamb. And served that lamb up to the guest who had come to town. David's anger, it says, was greatly kindled against the man. 
And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold. And you remember the story is that Nathan then looked at this king and he said, you are the man. David couldn't see the log in his own eye. You are the man, though, Nathan said. You and I protect ourselves from the idea of this log in our own eye. There is a prophetic voice that is needed in order that we might admit to ourselves our own complicity in the difficulties of this world. Have you ever spoken to someone else and told them where they were wrong? Come on, be honest with me now. Have you ever spoken to someone else and told them that they were wrong with anger in your voice, with judgment in your eyes? In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, who has been on quite a journey in his own life with judgment, he says to the early church, speak the truth in love. Pride makes it difficult to see and to remove the log in our own eye. We see the flaws in others. But we have such difficulty seeing the flaws in ourselves. Eventually, possibly, there are those occasions in which hindsight is twenty twenty. You ever been there? Where you said to yourself, later on, if only I had known then what I know now. This is... This is the bane of my existence. <laughs> if I could go back, there are so many things that I would change from earlier on in my life. If I had only known then what I know now. Jesus is saying, let's stop right here. And put first things first. First, take the log out of your own eye. Don't wait for that place where hindsight is 2020. Let's start this thing right, right now. And I'm putting this before you today. You cannot go back and change the past. But the beauty about this is that you can live into the future using these principles that Jesus speaks of first take the log out of your own eye I love pastor Matt's reflection on this passage of scripture he says a number of concrete factors shape my inability to see and to remove the log that is in my eye. 
he says first the log's been there a long time <laughs> and I've become quite comfortable with the log in fact it has sort of healed over there's a little lump there in my eye but I can live with the discomfort that this log is there it's been a part of me for a long time he says second I just sort of think this is a part of my personality have you ever said that about yourself <laughs> have you ever said it about somebody else you're sort of giving them an easy way out you know well his granddaddy would get angry like that you got to know the family to understand why they would react the way they react oh we let people off the hook we let ourselves off the hook I just fly off the handle I get hot under the collar but everybody knows that's just me number three the attempts have failed to remove the log from my eye all the prayers that I've prayed I still just can't help myself my family's worked with this my wife particularly has been helpful to me to be able to see this situation that I'm in but I can't seem to change a thing every time something happens it's the same old story all the attempts have failed I guess it's just going to be this way and number four is <laughs> at a certain point the log just sort of becomes socially acceptable <laughs> so that if you see a log in somebody's eye even if you recognize that you got this log in your own eye that it's just sort of a part of what we know is going to be there do any of you uh, ladies remember the beehive hairdo you know I mean whoever thought that thing up um, is there anybody here that wishes it would come back raise your hand just think about the changes that we have been through not just in style but think about what we become comfortable with and who we become comfortable with and how much latitude we give certain people in order to say this is just what culture is about the log can become socially acceptable in fact number five is truth is when it comes down to it we kind of like the log <laughs> oh mercy help us when we kind of like the log when we come to the idea that the log's not just there for a long time not just a part of our personality but something that we kind of become attuned to we have an affinity for it sort of is the nature of the way things are almost attractive something kind of 
attractive about that kind of log walking around. Yeah, he got a log in his eye. He's a good guy, though. What damage do we do to ourselves when we think our log makes no difference? Mother Teresa had a great take on this subject. <laughs> if you judge people, you have no time to love them. I love this quote. If you judge people, you have no time to love them. Can you see what Jesus was saying? Can you see what Jesus was saying then? First, take the log out of your own eye. This is the same one who said, love your enemies. Care for those who despitefully use you. And so I'm not saying to anyone here in particular that you got a log in your eye that you got to tend to. I'm not even here to say you got a speck in your eye. What I'm saying is that all of us here must first take the log out of our own eye with the help of God, of course, before we will ever truly know how to love others if you judge people you have no time to love them it is also a good way of seeing the world isn't it these words that we remembered earlier from Ephesians which are instructions for the church, actually. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We must grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. It's not just for the church. It is for the world. And we need to hold each other accountable to this as much as we can, as lovingly as we can. If there ever, ever needs to be confrontation, might we make it loving? God help us, God help us, God help us.